As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Presenting sponsor for today's episode of Hear That Podcast Ground is Visa, a network working for everyone. All right, welcome to the latest edition of Hear That Podcast Ground. Paul Daner Jr. and Jay Morrison of The Athletic are here with you on uh, coming off a Bengals victory on Sunday. And uh, the Chicago Bears are uh, in front of them on this Sunday in Chicago, first road trip of the year. Bengals and Steelers 1-0, Browns and Ravens 0-1. I mean, what else do you want? I mean, I, I was surprised at Pittsburgh. I, I, if you'd have told me those other two results, I would have said the Bengals would have been in first place uh, after week one. That one that one really surprised me. But, yes, I'm, I'm happy. Chicago might be my favorite city to go to. Ooh, um yeah. It is. It, I just. I really enjoy it. I like. It's a short drive. It's easy. There's just so much to do there. Um, so I. I am looking forward to that. But that's. That's down the road. We. We still have Minnesota to rehash. We have some. Re, we, so we're we're going to go into some big pig. We. You know. I hope everybody enjoyed the walkout. Um. Where we have a lot of our instant reactions. We've got some more big picture stuff and some reaction from the reaction from the team and players, which was fairly interesting <laughs> over the last couple of days. So we're going to dig a little bit into some of the news. We're going to talk about. Some of the things that Jesse Bates had to say yesterday, uh, first time we've heard from him in a long time, first time he's been available uh, since really this contract stuff popped up uh, before the preseason, and he was not really necessarily holding back that he isn't super thrilled. Um, in fact, the word pissed was used a number of times uh, about where things ended up there. We'll kind of get into what happens and, and what went down with Jesse Bates. Uh, but also the defensive side of the fourth down aggressiveness equation that also is, is fairly interesting. And we've got a couple stories up today. Jay, you've got so your final thoughts with a run through of a lot of interesting things, which has some important defensive takeaways in there. I have a story uh, up on, I think, the most encouraging element of Sunday, and that was the play of the defensive line and the defensive tackles in particular, the, the waves uh, of the four defensive tackles that came through and really changed the entire dynamic of this game and what that means as you look ahead the next few weeks to getting that getting off to that mo very important fast start to the season. Uh, some numbers that surprised me a little bit when we jumped into them. And, uh, uh, but probably wouldn't surprise Kirk Cousins, who was real sick of Paul Brown Stadium by the time he left here on Sunday. Um, we have a new segment for you every Tuesday. We're going to have, um, Mo Egger, ESPN 1530, come on and join us for 10 minutes on the topic. And, uh, it's going to have a very long, um, hard name to pronounce because we don't like when people use things like playing off names. And I'm sure somebody who has heard 10 Mo minutes or some concept of that there of his entire career. Uh, we'll appreciate that, but we're going to talk to Mo every week today. We're going to talk to him about Jamar Chase and that moment when the ball was in the air, 
both on the first catch and on the deep ball and uh you know what his feelings were on on the debut of Jamar Chase uh we are going to talk a little bit about the running game and the fact that they ran it as much as they did take some stock of the offensive line uh after a day when Joe Burrow had to limp off the field at one point and took a bunch of hits uh so a lot to get to as we kind of transition from Minnesota to evil Andy Dalton and the Chicago Bears. I mean, the beard is just the Andy Dalton beard is just it's so pronounced. And I, as I pointed out when when Dan Horde was uh, tweeted that he couldn't get over the beard, that he is kind of like evil Andy Dalton, but even an evil version of Andy Dalton <laughs> is still nicer than like ninety nine percent of the rest of us. Uh, <laughs> but uh, we will be preparing for that as uh, the Bears game gets closer. My dad always told me when I was growing up, uh, a man with a beard has something to hide. And I don't think Andy Dalton has anything to hide. And it was ironic because my dad had a beard. So um, that it was that, that's just one of those things, you know, you, those little sayings that your parents say when you're younger. That was one of the ones that always stuck out to me. And I always think of that. And I've I've never really been able to grow a beard. When quarantine started early in 2020, I tried and it took about two months to even make it look like a beard. And then I just got sick of the itchiness and got rid of it. And I don't, I don't know how Andy or any other player plays with a helmet on with, with that much facial hair. Next week, Brett Kiesel shows up on that <laughs> podcast ground as we, as we dive deep into, into chin straps and beards and their lives. Uh, let's talk about, um, Quick news, no Trey Waynes on Sunday. So I guess um, we're, it sounds like we're going to see Eli Apple again, which I don't know how Bengals fans feel about that. We've reached the defending Eli Apple portion of the program for the Bengals coaching staff who claimed they thought he played well, that there were no explosives against him. I would say giving up a third and 24 because you can't tackle would probably qualify as an explosive, explosive but who am I? Um, and so – Again, no, it doesn't sound like there's going to be snaps trending towards Darius Phillips chipping yeah. away at that. Um, they sounded fairly happy with the way Eli Apple played as a whole. One play that kind of went under the radar of the, against Eli Apple because of the, the total chaos of the moment was the throw that set up the game tying field goal was it was it was basically just Kirk Cousins being like Adam Thielen versus Eli Apple here we go and just and just throwing it up to him one on one and Apple not making the play. Um, that was kind of their strategy all day, and uh, it it worked in that equation, and also on the uh, the drive for the first touchdown. Yeah, Eli Apple with the worst PFF grade among all Bengals defenders, and uh, wasn't even really close. I, I I guess there's something to that that they, this team has been burned over the top and and had those explosive plays for so long that I, I guess it's you can kind of see where they would look at it that way and and say there were no explosives, but you're right to, to miss, not just miss a tackle, but miss a tackle on the sideline. All you gotta do is give the guy a shove to get him out of bounds. Um, and then it wasn't just, that was the first of three. You know, then he has the defensive holding that gates a sack and then he gets beat for the touchdown. Three out of four plays, just a meltdown. Uh, we've said it many times there. They just, there is something that they really don't like about Darius Phillips because yep. the, the guy has earned it. Um, and maybe it's just a trust factor of he can't do it over long stretches, but it is really curious. Um, and I and I thought Darius looked great returning punts. I, I think he's leading. I think he's leading the NFL in punt return yardage right now. Um, but yeah, he's. It doesn't sound like he's going to get any run at cornerback. We shall see. We'll keep an eye on those snap counts. But Phillips, I think, had eight defensive snaps. Um, on Sunday against Minnesota. Uh, so Joe Burrow, who obviously had limped off, was kind of holding his shoulder a little bit, said he got rolled up on his ankle after the game. Um, we asked, I asked I Taylor about that on Monday, and he said he expects no limitations for him at practice this week. We'll, we'll keep an eye on that Wednesday practice report when the truth has to come out. But um, he may be limited, but it sounds like that would be a minor version of limited, or maybe he'd be full participant but listed. Uh, with ankle or something like that, so we'll we'll see how they how it actually plays out. But it sounds like zero concern uh, over Joe Burrow's health after kind of getting dinged a little bit in the game on Sunday. Um, and then on the news side of things, we have Jesse Bates, and um, so Jesse Bates' contract did not get done by the deadline. So as far as where that stands, um, he 
didn't say specifically. He kind of said uh, he basically wasn't going to go into details over whether there was still time for that to get done. But, I mean, we know what it has been and typically is around here. The season starts, that's the deadline. And he also multiple times said, see what next year brings, see what next year brings, talking about next offseason. So you can pretty much put two and two together. The deal didn't get done. And that means what will happen is you'll see them place the franchise tag on Jesse Bates uh, next year. And then at that point, you get into this franchise tag situation where they have until basically mid-July to get a long-term contract done with Jesse. And if they don't, then he will have to play next year on the one year. It'll probably end up in the 13 range. That that number hasn't come out yet. Um, one year, about $13 million franchise tag deal uh, that, that's, that's baked in. And so... You know, you're not losing Jesse Bates. He's going to continue to play. But again, you have poked the bear of a team captain and leader. We have gone down this road a million times about him and what he means and what haggling with Jesse Bates and not being able to get this deal done means for you and your locker room that you love the good vibes of. Um, and he wasn't super shy about it. Yeah, you said you're not losing Jesse Bates, and, and that's true in imminently. But, I mean, what do you think if, obviously, just assume they don't get it done this season because it is always the deadline of the, of the, of the opener. If they tag him next year, is that the final straw? Is there any chance that they sign a long-term deal after the tag? Because, I mean, he's, he's pissed off now. What do you mean well, after the tag? Well, after that season, after the 2022 season ends. Oh, then well, they can tag him again. True. But, I mean, players players do not like being tagged. And, and Jesse's already mad. And it, this is a guy it would feel like you want to keep here long term. Is, you know, if they tag him next year, is it irrepar- irreparable? I mean, I, I guess money speaks louder than everything and if this team starts winning and he's got Joe Burrow and he sees a chance to win a championship here that could change it too but if this if this team doesn't kind of climb that mountain are, are they playing with fire here and and kind of burning a bridge where you're, you're losing any chance to keep him once he is free to go wherever he wants to go yeah maybe I mean you know you see some things that look pretty ugly get done <laughs> and, and that's why it's kind of surprising this one didn't. I think that's because there was the ability to kick the can down the road, and Jesse seemed to have a little bit, even way back before the season started, a willingness to kick the can down the road on this one and and play out this year and bet on himself a little bit. Um, we'll see how that plays out. You know, I mean they they can get a deal done as soon as any time. You know, I mean they they can get a deal done before the franchise tag or, you know, at at any point they have an opportunity to sit down and say, let's just knock this out and let's take care of it. Um, I, I, you know, I I think eventually if you get to a number that someone's asking for, and maybe he takes, you know, he felt like he did all the right stuff. I practiced. I I was a good teammate. I got elected captain. I didn't, I didn't go out there like Jamal Adams uh, and sit out and force your hand a little bit. Maybe he doesn't feel that way next year. Maybe he feels like I tried that other method and that didn't work. Maybe I should try the method that worked for Jamal Adams when he got his big deal because he sat out and didn't participate in anything. You know, I tried to do it the right way. And what happened for me? Right. So I think that's the difference. That's what ends up happening. If you don't now you're in a franchise tag situation. So who knows? But we saw how AJ Green enjoyed and handled, you know, the concept of the franchise tag. It's a distraction, man. It's a distraction and it's insulting in a lot of ways. And I think that's what Jesse Bates feels. He sounded like a guy that felt a little insulted. So if you want to know what he sounded like, here's Jesse Bates talking about contract stuff really for the first time, except for that one little blip where he ended up on that on Bengals. Uh, social media platforms discussing it. Jesse, are you expecting contract negotiations? Basically, are they done now until the the end of the season? I'm not sure. What's what's that like playing? You know, I'm sure you said this is something obviously you wanted to get done in in the in the off season or at least you know at the beginning of training camp. How does it affect you that it's not done? How do you approach that now? You know, towards the rest of the season as you approach 2022. Yeah, I wish it would have got done. Obviously. Um, I mean, they got Sam done. Uh, I was hoping to be the next guy up. Uh, but like I said, it is what it is. Um, I'm going to play my part. I'm going to be a captain of this team. Um, and next year, we'll see what happens. 
So, I mean, you know, you tell me the tone of Jesse Bates. You you tell me if he, I mean, he wasn't, if he was trying to hide um, how he truly felt, I don't think he was doing it very well or, or, or else he just wasn't real concerned with it, which I, I would guess the latter. Yeah, he's bitter, he's angry, but he's not sullen. He's not going to go out and pout and not play his best. He's going to do the exact opposite. He's going to go out there, like he said, pissed off and take it out on the other team, which is exactly what Bengals fans want to hear and maybe probably what the front office wants to see too. Um, it, it started off great. I mean, he he led the team in tackles Sunday, had some, had one bad missed tackle. I almost thought it was Eli Apple. It was so bad because I saw the zero and I just assumed it was Eli <laughs> I mean, Apple. It had to be Eli Apple. <laughs> uh, but he he laid some wood on some hits too, um, and it just really played well. And if if you're getting that Jesse Bates for 17 games, uh, I think everybody in that organization is going to be happy. All right, let's take a second and switch gears here and hear from a sponsor. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. You know, a lot of the conversation uh, also after the game was about, look, the, the aggressiveness of Zach Taylor and going for it on fourth down. Jay, you have the story up after the game of going through all those decisions through the angle of analytics, through the angle of gut, through the angle of the message it sent and what people felt about it. And the one aspect of that that was missing because we didn't really get a chance to talk to anybody in that regard was how the defense felt about being put up against a wall by the fourth down decision at your own 30. And speci- and then also on top of that, the cover zero call on fourth and four, um, which cover zero has been uh, a, you know, a forbidden word to say uh, mm. around here <laughs> due to what happened against Pittsburgh back in uh, 2018. And, you know, <laughs> it was very similar in that regard, but, they they weren't thrilled with it to the point that Jesse says nobody was happy about it. We were pissed off about the call, and he had to, Zach Taylor had to call everybody up on the sidelines and say, "Look, this is the team we're gonna be this year. We're gonna go for it and be aggressive in certain situations. We're gonna call cover zeros. This is who we are. This is who we're gonna be." And his point was, "Yeah, I don't think anybody was really thrilled about the call or that, <laughs> but it is what it is. That's football." And you know, again, a defense who's like, can you, you know, we're kicking their ass. Can you just let us continue kicking their ass and not put us in the spot where you give them a chance to have one play uh, offset all of that? And I think that was kind of the feel from the defensive side of the ball, at least if you're reading the lines of what Jesse said. Yeah, and and I see where he's coming from. But I also, you know, I track these every year. I, I do these drive charts. And the, 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 one, the Bengals were really good at – after they turned the ball over of holding teams to field goals as opposed to letting them capitalize and get touchdowns. Now, when you, you start them at the other at, at your 30, it's almost a guaranteed field goal. But I, I thought that was interesting, too, that a lot of times a player would say, you know, it, it all worked out. It doesn't matter what I think. I'm not I'm not Joe Burrow would have said this. I'm not paid to make that decision. He did say that, as a matter of fact. Um, but Jesse was blunt. He said, I was pissed off. A lot of us weren't happy with that call. I mean, maybe that's what you want from your defense. I the the call itself, you know, if if you're the Patriots, if if you're any team with a history of winning and stomping people, maybe you you see that a little more. But you're a team trying to get over the hump. This this opener is everything to you. It did seem a little too risky, even if the math says it, it's in your favor slightly. Um, but yeah, it would it would have really been interesting to have 
an open locker room as opposed to, you know, just the, the limited access we get where they just bring in players um, that they choose. Because if you could have, if you, if we could have talked to a bunch of those defensive starters, I, I think we would have gotten a lot more answers like Jesse's about them being pissed off about that call. That is pretty much the case with damn near every topic you have as a listener and as a reader is that you are not getting the real story. It's impossible <laughs> to get the real story. You only get the polished and that's the polished version. You're right. I mean, you, you never get the real um, anymore because of the decisions that have been made on the league level um, and, and elsewhere to restrict any any real real access. Um, but that's where we're at. So, but you're right. I mean, and it just leaves you in a situation where I I don't think, I mean, this wasn't Carlos Dunlap, right? I mean, this (laughs) wasn't Carlos where every time he's in front of a microphone last year, he's just bashing someone, whether it's the front office, the team, the coaching staff or whatever. I mean, it was a win. Jesse's like, we were happy. Everyone was hung over. Maybe he was still a little hung over and that's why he was talking the way he was. Uh, but I, I think there's still a pretty good vibe and the win helps and all that stuff. And I think going into it, knowing that this is what it's going to be is helpful too. Like, look, this is, this is the aggressive type team we're going to be. You know, nobody takes shots at the Ravens for the fact that they do more cover zero than anybody in the league last year. And if you don't think that that's influential on this team's decision to start acting like this a little bit more this year, you're wrong. I mean, how do you not watch the Ravens befuddle the league and do so well defensively, you know, dialing up all these cover zeros all the time? You saw it on Monday night and and, and not think that that's something that you should be doing more of as part of your arsenal um, with that aggression in order to win this division. And, and we'll see. We'll see if it plays out. We'll see how many times it does. You know, when you when you dial up the cover zero and you get the sack or you get the the you know the off rhythm throw that falls incomplete everybody praises the blitz blitz more be more aggressive well the moment adam thielen's running free uh what are you doing you know i mean it's it's damned if you do damned if you don't in some ways and and the thing here was it wasn't just like lou dialed up that zero blitz and that was the only kind of aggression we saw he was a lot more aggressive throughout that game and even with getting the push that they got that you wrote about from from inside the defensive tackles and getting the pressure off the edge with Trey Hendrickson getting five five pressures he still dialed up a a number of blitzes and it it wasn't just all out over and over again because it didn't need to be but that was one of the big questions coming into the year is would he be more aggressive with more players to deal with more with more versatility on that defense and they did they 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 really kept Kirk Cousins on his back foot and yeah you're gonna look there's they're not all gonna work um and that that one did not it, it burned him for a touchdown and it, it really changed the momentum of the game but again it's just like the fourth down decision that doesn't work it sometimes you got to live with those they're certainly living with the uh, fourth and inches throw down the field uh sure. you know I mean and so yeah it's it's it, it comes and goes um the other thing I want to talk about, and again, this, there's a story up kind of detailing a lot of this uh, on the site, uh, athletic.com. We still have we're, we're limited time. I, I don't, it's not going to be much longer. We've got our 50% off promotional deal going on. So go, uh, you can click on the links there at that story. Uh, it's out on Twitter um, on, on the defensive line and the defensive tackles. And so we were talking a little bit about it in the walkout. But man, it has to equal some of last year's total season from the defensive tackles. And so we went through it. And if you just chart what PFF had over the course of all last season, anybody with a defensive tackle connected to their name uh, had they totaled over the course of the entire season. There were eight of them. They totaled over the course of the entire season, three sacks and 34 pressures. Well, on Sunday, anybody with a defensive tackle connected to their name totaled three sacks and seven pressures. And that is not even half of it when you consider that they also drew five holding calls, a sixth was declined. I mean, it was the absolute opposite end of the spectrum for what they were last year. They were the the worst in the league at getting pressure up the middle last year, and, and, and yesterday they were arguably the best. Um, B.J. Hill, Larry Ogunjobi, D.J. Reader, Josh Tupo, all of them were able to 
push up the pocket up into Kirk Cousins' face. And that's not even counting all the times he just was forced to back up and throw off his back foot and it goes out of bounds or drops incomplete uh, or has to roll out. I mean, it, where some of those maybe even don't kind of pressures. I mean, Larry Joby sacked Kirk Cousins with the body of <laughs> Garrett Bradbury at one point. I mean, it was just all of those things you've seen Geno Atkins do over the years yep. has ruined games uh, coming from a multitude of guys, and it made all the difference, um, all the difference in the world. It, you mentioned Geno, and that's that's great point because it's it's the classic case of don't know what you got until it's gone. And maybe that's not entirely accurate because everyone knew Geno was special, but you almost took it for granted at times after, you know, as he got later in his career when he was still really dominant. And then all of a sudden that goes away and you're like, geez, this is, I mean, this is 2020. It was, it, there was just nothing at all. And it, really they had the fourth sack too that was negated by the the Eli Apple penalty it, it was just it was one of the most impressive performances I've seen from a Bengals D-line in a, in a long time and, and the other thing I you know I hat tip to the fans I, I thought it was just kind of trying to sell tickets and kind of just you know typical coach speak when when Zach was you know, begging for the the jungle to be full and loud and everything leading up to that game. That it was a real difference maker. It wasn't just the five holds, it, all those false starts. And I went back and watched the uh, part of the the first part of the game, the TV copy. And there, it, it this isn't just players saying, "Yeah, it was great. It was loud. We thank the fans." There was a, a point in the game where they did a side sideline hit with Jen Hale, and as she's finishing up her hit the play is starting and they kick it back upstairs and chris myers the play-by-play guy is like i'm sorry jen we couldn't even hear the end of your report there that's how loud it was in that stadium and it wasn't full was it fifty four thousand? and they can get 56 and they can get 65 in there it can get louder um it just it that the the fans as great as the defensive line was i do think that the fans get a, a nice little assist there because even us, we when you're in the press box, and I mentioned this in the walkout, you don't get a full appreciation of how loud it is, and then you go back and watch watch it on TV and, and listen to what the players are saying, and it was, it really did go hand in hand to help that defensive line. I mean, home field advantage is back in the league. I mean, last, yeah. last year we you know we saw a lot of teams. There was different reasons why home field advantage existed last year because traveling was a pain in the butt last year for everybody. Uh, but you know, this year that version of it and we're going to see it all across the league um certainly not just in cincinnati um but the other part of the thing is you know last year the Bengals drew 15 holding penalties all year so three sacks and 15 holding penalties drawn all last year they had three sacks and five holding penalties and one declined in the first game now you would say yeah well minnesota's a train wreck right like they and they were i mean they they had problems all, all all up and down, um. But guess who else does the next three opponents? Yeah. Chicago is worse than Minnesota up front, and they have injuries on top of it from week one. Two tackles go. I mean, Jason Peters. Anybody that watched what Carl Lawson did to Jason Peters last year knows how accessible that is, and he gets hurt, and you're bringing another backup, and they are banged up and already not very good. And this is going to be even, you know, they should be licking their chops even more. Same thing with Pittsburgh. That's if you're going to find a way to access Pittsburgh, who who actually, uh, you know, showed fairly well considering the no names and the, all the change they've had up front. But that's the way to do it. Jacksonville, what a mess they are uh, up front too, um, with particularly on the interior for them. So it's right there for the taking for these guys to really be the storyline of owning the first month and. I think those the pressures record <laughs> that we just talked about pressures compared to last year, maybe holding penalties compared to last year, could be gone uh, by the time you complete this four game stretch if all continues to go to plan and it goes well. And you know, you look at the snap counts, the four defensive tackles between seventy one and twenty nine percent. It was those waves. Mm-hmm. It was it was bringing them through, keeping them fresh. You know, I'd argue. Early in last season, they tried. They put too much on DJ Reader. They 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 tried to turn him into this three down, 
guy who's playing a little bit too much and and he still played a lot but you know keep him a little bit fresher and the ability that you can do that and i think you'll see hill and tupo snaps maybe even come up a little more now uh, after the way they played uh, i think that combination can really be deadly when you have that kind of freshness coming in particularly early in the season I like how Lou Anarumo immediately reverted to preseason Lou, where he's not going to praise anybody. I mean, he he, pra- he praises the group as a whole, but I asked him about Josh Tupo, and he's like, yeah, well, he had a running back trying to block him. Anybody should should win that one-on-one. But I was really impressed with Tupo. I don't, he's always been that run plugger, and, and if you're getting pressures up the middle from that guy, it's just, it is. It's going to be really interesting to watch over these next three weeks because they, I mean think about it three sacks this game if they just do that over the next three games that gets them to 12 for the year they had 17 all of last year and they were next to last in the league in pressures they they can they can really take a huge step through this this first quarter of the season and if if they do that you're talking about everything we talked about leading up to the season where a young team finds success early and the confidence really explodes and things start to snowball and it, it, it can it can lead to a a much different looking 2021 than than everyone was was betting on when the season started just remember it's not about and it's really not as much about sacks when you look at the big picture it's about yes. it's about those times when the center is all of a sudden in the quarterback's face it's about disruptions it's about holding calls it's about all those things, and 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 that is where the defensive tackles made it. Be. And really, Trey Hendrickson had a bizarro Trey Hendrickson game. Where last year, right, the argument was, I don't know if he's one of those top F free agent edge rushers. How much of it was his sacks were really set up by everybody else? He didn't have any sacks, but his pressures. He got two holding calls. Uh, he he led the team in pressures with five. I mean, he was really disruptive off the edge, even though he never got one of those sacks. The other people got the sacks, but him coming off the edge really uh, did make a big difference. So I. I thought, you know, you kind of did get what you wanted from Trey Hendrickson, even though he didn't give you what the selling point was from him in free agency, gave you the disruption. All right. It's time for our new segment uh, with Mo Egger. So uh, let's let's jump in. Jamar Chase is going to be our topic. You know, Mo, we just we just don't spend enough time together on Tuesdays. <laughs> <laughs> Already the, the Tuesday hour in studio, that's our regular standing appointment at 3 o'clock on ESPN 1530. We're adding 10 more of those here on Hear That Podcast Ground for those people who are averse to radio, I guess, which they shouldn't be. They shouldn't be, but very few people in my life who spend a prolonged amount of time with me actually want to extend it. So yeah. this is you're the exception. <laughs> Usually you know, people just, are looking to shorten the amount of time they spend with me. Yeah, it's because it's just it's just that much fun. So, mm-hmm. you know, that segment is uh that we that hour that we do in in studio there is we've titled it something really we hate the fact one that that's always named after like somebody has to do a play on a name and you get mm-hmm. that I mean the f- how many versions of something Mo that you've had to do over the years? I just feel for you, right? I wasn't gonna make this ten Mo minutes. I just can't do that to you. Yeah, well, I I appreciate that. As somebody whose show has no official name, uh, I appreciate the unwillingness at times to name stuff because I don't really see the point. Well. The name that I have for this, and it'll be a working title, is 10 Minutes of a Delightful, uh, Potentially Informative, and Potentially Humorous Conversation with ESPN 1530's Mo Egger about a topic regarding Cincinnati Bengals or another tangentially related development. Sound good? Are you going to get like a voice guy? I would I like mean, I mean, can I use your like, voice guy? Can we use yeah. the same voice person from... from, from uh, Stephanie. Yeah, we can get Stephanie to, to voice that for you. All right, we'll do that. That's we'll, we'll keep working this. We'll keep we'll try to keep improving it, but maybe as the year goes along. <laughs> uh, today's topic uh, will be Jamar Chase, uh, one that we have not spent much time talking about over the course of the offseason and, and nobody really has any opinions on. Um, I'll start with this, Mo. We talked a lot. <laughs> over the course of the previous couple months about how you would feel when that first ball was in the air uh, headed to Jamar Chase against Minnesota. How did you feel when that first ball was in the air on his way to Jamar Chase against Minnesota? I said out loud, oh boy, you know, I mean, I, I, I said that out loud, but you know, the thing is his first touch wasn't a pass. It was yeah. a handoff and it just kind of happened. And then once it did, I, I, 
I sort of thought like, all right, that's how you do it. That's how you do it. Right. Get him the ball. The, the play didn't gain anything. It didn't go anywhere, but get him the ball. He hangs on to it. He gets hit. And all right, Jamar, welcome to the NFL. Now, can you help the team? And, and he did. But yeah, when that first pass was in the air, um, I went, oh, boy. And then he caught the pass and, and it was a nice catch. And it was, a, I thought, a perfectly thrown ball. And it was like, all right, great. Let's go. And he did. Which was awesome, and I, I was I was thrilled for the Bengals. I was I was really happy for Jamar Chase, particularly with all the crap that he took at the end of last week. I was I was really really happy that he had one of the best rookie debuts in the history of the franchise. The I was wondering because I your your freeze frame moment with the, <laughs> the, the Saved by the Bell, you know that one that was a rope. There there was time to say, oh boy, what what were you thinking on the the deep ball? Because and I do think that was great that they. It was a deep out, his first touch. It wasn't an easy screen like in the Miami game where you, you, you kind of get in your own head. He had to really go get that ball, not think about it, just get it. The 50-yard bomb was a little different. It's hanging up there forever. Did you, in your mind, free, freeze frame it? And what were your thoughts if you did? My thoughts were the Cincinnati Bengals are being aggressive at the end of the first half and nothing else matters. It didn't matter who the ball was going to. I just love the fact, <clears throat> excuse me, I just, I just love the fact that they and and you know Zach Taylor's decision making became a talking point all afternoon. But I mean, I, I just I love the fact that they didn't run a handoff or two and go to the locker room and, and settle for being tied. I I I love the fact that they were aggressive. And so I was more into holy crap, they're they're gonna try to score a touchdown here in the waning moments of a half. What what bizarre world are we in? What are we doing here? Um, the fact that it went to Jamar Chase was just for me icing on the cake, but in the aftermath of that, I thought often about how, okay, if, if that's a part of this arsenal week one, oh boy, what, 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 what's the ceiling for this unit? And that to me was really what I walked away from the entire game thinking about, because you could talk about Sunday and spend a lot of time on what they did. And, and I guess to a degree didn't do offensively. And there was so much there, but the headliner was that play that play to Jamar Chase is what, which is what we spent all of the run up to the draft talking about. If you were, if you were team chase, as I was, the selling point was they're going to have an amount of explosiveness that they lacked last year. They're going to be able to throw the ball deep and to not just do it on some random third and 12, but to do it in a situation in which Bengals fans are conditioned to expect either nothing to happen or something bad to happen. For, for that play to go down when it did, it was the perfect storm of awesomeness. Um, and at that point, I really wasn't thinking about, is he going to catch it? Is he not going to catch it? Those are high degree of difficulty catches. I'm more into, is he going to catch the easy stuff? There are going to be streak routes that he runs where the, the play gets broken up or Joe misses the pass or even Jamar drops it. Those are high degree of difficulty catches. I'm not going to crush him for dropping those. I'll hammer him for dropping the one like the the, the play against uh, Miami in the last uh, preseason game or even some of the shorter passes that he caught on Sunday. But more than anything, I, I was just, oh, if this is how we're going to play the end of the first half and if this is how they can play the end of the first half, uh, this is going to be this is going to be a lot of fun, and Sunday was a hell of a lot of fun. That moment, I, I thought the uh, the euphoric release from the crowd when that happens of you know was only made greater by the run up of wondering if how long it's going to take Jamar Chase to be that guy, and for it to happen on the first game and in that position at the end of the half and for it to look so similarly to the national championship highlight that everyone's been watching since before he was drafted here to the Bengals makes it even all that much more special. I mean, being out there, how did that compare with some of the other big moments you've even experienced being out in the stands? Uh, it was with maybe the exception of Von Bell, uh, Von Bell uh, knocking down Juju Smith-Schuster last year. It was the best Paul Brown Stadium moment, uh, certainly since Zach Taylor's been the head coach. And I mean, it, it, it was I think people just sort of looked at each other like, what's going on here? I mean, again, we're we're conditioned to expect the Bengals to screw it up right before half fair or not. And that's probably to a degree not fair to this. Uh, particular head coach, but yeah, I mean, it just, it sort of was like, all right, uh, they have a bona fide chance to win this football game after really sort of playing like a, a turtle with its head in the shell for the first quarter. Uh, they were really conservative, really kind of boring. In fact, my, my buddy remarked to me, he's like, I think the first quarter is Joe Burrow's preseason game. 
It felt that way, right? It was really <laughs> yeah. vanilla, really conservative. And then for them to open things up, the defense had been playing really well to that point to go in with a lead, go in with aggressiveness. And I mean, I just, you know, I, I, I always get together with people at halftime and it's like, well, that's not what I was expecting, both in terms of the play and the aggressiveness and the score. Um, it was, it was cool, but, but I, I just felt really happy for Jamar chase more, maybe more than anything else, because it, it could not have been easy to go through these last couple of weeks with everybody wondering, can you catch a pass? Did the Bengals get it wrong in the draft? The whole small ball, white stripes thing that was just so dramatically overblown. And you guys pointed that out. Um, I, I, you know, th- there's always a, a big spotlight on, on a guy like Jamar, who's, you know, fifth overall pick and being counted on to do so much for this team offensively. But then you add all these other narratives to it for him to smash them. And it doesn't mean he's not going to drop passes. It, it doesn't mean that, that he's going to have a successful NFL career, but for him to have that rookie debut in the context of everything that's been talked about over the last couple of weeks, I just was really thrilled for him. I was really, really happy for him as a guy. Um, and, and hopefully, hopefully I feel that way often this year. All right, let's just take a quick break. And now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream direct TV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on direct TV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on direct TV makes up for your mother not preach you and your sunflower seeds. Direct TV has the most MLB games. Visit directtv.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. I'm glad we have you here and we're on this subject of of live reaction, you being in the stands, because I don't want to say fans lie, but they 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 twist things. And I, I really want to know because after the fact, anytime there's a controversial coaching decision, there's always the armchair quarterbacking. And the fourth and one at the own at their own 30. What was the reaction in the stands when he when Zach sent the team out? Was everybody like, "Yeah, we're going for it," or was everybody like, "What <laughs> are we doing?" Yes, and myself included. And I've walked it back a little bit. Um, but yeah, there was a sense of this is going really well. Your defensive line is playing great. You're up by a couple of scores. You have a good punter. Let's not get too cute here. Let's kick it away, play defense, and if they score, you're up a touchdown, and let's go. Mm. Um, there was a sense of this is a little bit too aggressive. And I don't like tweeting during Bengals games. I especially don't like tweeting at Paul Brown Stadium. But I, I tweeted something to the effect of, like, what are we doing here? But <laughs> I, I, I was thinking about it after the game, and I'm like, all right, I'm the guy who's usually crushing coaches for not being aggressive. When they hired Zach Taylor, that's what I wanted. I wanted the guy who's going who's gonna to be aggressive. He's going to you know be aggressive at the end of the first half. Uh, he's going to you know, sort of set the, the tone with his team, aggressiveness and play calling, aggressiveness and decision making. His first game ever against Seattle, they lost that game. But what did we walk away from it? We, we walked away from it talking about, well, this isn't like Marvin Lewis. This is different. This is aggressive. If you're going to do that, if you want the aggressive guy, and there were times that Zach was really conservative, the third and four late in the game when they ran the football. But if you're going to want the guy to be aggressive, I, I think you have to be willing to take some stuff that you're not necessarily gonna like uh it's not the best comparison but if if you're gonna have your quarterback throw the ball deep a lot well that's gonna come at the expense of completion percentage it's probably gonna come at the expense of uh you know more interceptions throws that aren't safe but you want him to take risks you want him to try to beat teams downfield you want large chunk plays you have to understand there's gonna be something that comes with that and so if 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 I'm gonna yell and scream that Zach should be aggressive and uh let's let's be let's have some big ones when we make our decisions Sometimes that's maybe going to cross over into being a little bit too greedy or one might say being stupid. I I can live with that if if the tone for the final 16 games is we're going to do some aggressive stuff in an effort to go ahead and win the game and not be passive. And I've tried to frame it like that in the aftermath of the game. Admittedly, had they lost that game, um, there's a really good chance I wouldn't have felt that way. But but if you're gonna ask a coach to be aggressive, there are going to be a moment. There are going to be moments in which he's maybe a little bit too aggressive for his own good. But in a moment, at least I said there was a they sat right behind two Minnesota Vikings fans, and the guy turned to me 
uh, we were calling them tiny soda for some reason. I don't know <laughs> what the origin of that was, but I said, hey, tiny soda, <laughs> welcome back to the game or something to that effect. Probably much more vulgar. And he's like, I, I don't know what your, your coach is doing. I mean, you've gotten his beat. I don't know what your guy is doing. And then they scored the touchdown and he had a good laugh and I wasn't very happy. But no, in the stands, uh, nobody liked that. But I've reconciled myself with it to a degree in, in the aftermath of the game. Yeah. Uh, there's only really one major takeaway that I came away from this game with that I think is the most important. And that is that the preseason doesn't matter and that all reporters and media should just get the month of August off. There's no reason for us to be breaking down anything that's happening uh, because, you know, Jamar Chase goes through and, and all the hubbub that's created. And then with one deep ball, uh, we all realize we really should have just taken a vacation last month. Like, I really should have just gone ahead and gone to, you know, the beach and, and relaxed what for a little while rather than those, those chase takes. What would sports talk radio do, though, without chase takes? I mean, you know, I, <laughs> talk I, about baseball. I'd, I'd love to. I mean, <laughs> be fun if somebody would actually try to win the National League wild card. Uh, but I mean, you know, as much as Jamar Chase couldn't catch a pass in the preseason, that fell into my hands like, you know, like the, the pass that he <laughs> dropped against Miami. It was it was it was wonderful to talk about. And 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 look, I think it was fair to talk about, okay, game one against Minnesota, ball comes his way. How do you feel? How's Joe Burrow going to feel? Well, what's his mm -hmm. role going to be in the offense? Well, we answered all those questions on Sunday, but the degree to which people took it, even before the whole striped ball thing, I just, it's a byproduct of the times we live in. It's a byproduct of certainly me, the industry that I work in. Um, and and that's, that's part of it that I really don't like. I just, I felt for the dude. I felt for the guy. I mean, it's hard enough to play in the NFL. It's harder to play as a rookie, it's really hard to play in your first game and have so much expected of you. And then you add to it all this other stuff, much of which is your own fault, because if you would have caught all those passes in the preseason, nobody would be doing this. But for for all of all of that to be swirling around him and the team, for him to not just go out there and catch three passes for 23 yards, but for him to have the impact that he did. Again, in the history of the franchise, ain't a whole lot of guys whose rookie debuts were that good. And by the way, we could say the same about my guy, Evan McPherson. Um, I just, I don't know, man. You guys root for people and root for stories. I I've put myself in that sort of frame of mind. I'm just really happy for the guy to, to do what he did uh, in the environment that he did and help the team win a game in the, in the aftermath of everything that kind of swirled last week. I always root for people to stick it to the internet. And Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow stuck it to the internet. Uh, and, and that's really, it's really the core of any rooting interest that I have at this point is for people that try to shame and do all that stuff on the internet end up in sports can end up having flipped on their face so quickly. And right. that, was, yes. that was gratifying. Uh, Mo, thank you for uh, this first edition of 10 Minutes of Delightful, Potentially Informative, and Potentially Humorous Conversation with ESPN. There's Mo Eger and a topic regarding the Bengals or another tangentially related development. We do need to get that voice. I can't say it very often. I will talk to you both this week. Talk to you later. Thanks, Mo. All right. Always great to hear from Mo, and we'll hear from Mo every single Tuesday here as we uh, drop in a different topic. And of course, you can hear Mo and I for even more time, an hour, three to four o'clock on ESPN 1530 every Tuesday as well. Um, Jay's got stats. They're not sad at all. Mm. They're actually quite optimistic. What are your Jamar Chase stats? Yeah, I kind of I just expanded on what we already hit on leading up to this game. I the, the Bengals record for most receiving yards in an NFL debut was 82 by Jordan Shipley and uh, Jamar almost had that beat by halftime. I think he had 80 at halftime. Um, and then obviously the next step was to look at the NFL record and it was okay, Anquan Bolden 217 yards. Nobody Feasible. I, I mean, no one expects anyone to beat that. I don't know how that's going to ever go down. And But I thought, you know, Jamar goes over 100. So I was like, well, I wonder how many guys actually went over 100 yards in their debut. And it was 19, and now it's 20. And, and this is since the 1970 merger, um, 52 seasons, only 19 guys had done it. And Jamar, Jamar pulled it out. And there's... There's some names on that list. Really, there's two from 1982, which was the strike year. So they're, they're, they were scab players. 
So really, you're talking about 17 guys that did it against true NFL defenses. Um, there's the, the concerning that's impressive to do something that only 17 other guys did. The concerning thing here is there's some, some names on here that, you know, maybe a lot of people haven't heard of, and there's not a lot of names of hall of fame type guys on here, but it's, it's Anquan Bolden at the top. It's Lewis lips, um, Marquise Brown for the Ravens who, uh, had a, I think he had a touchdown last night in that Monday, that crazy Monday night game. Um, Eddie Royal, TJ Hawkinson and Terry McLaurin, both recently in 2019. Um, and then you get down to Will Fuller, Deshaun Jackson. Uh, there's some guys that have had some really good careers that, that did this, that started off top to hundred right off the bat. Um, and we were talking so much about how many drops Jamar would have in the opener. And it turned up the, it turned out being the conversation was how many yards would he have? Yeah. I mean, it's better than the opposite. You know, yep. I, I don't think it's a determining factor, but it's 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 better than the opposite. And he gave the team exactly what they were looking for this entire offseason was that explosion explosion over the top. And it ended up, you know, you can argue it was the difference in the game um, getting that play before halftime. Uh, let, let's let's um here's the other thing. We, we got to talk about the offensive line and, you know, Joe Burrow got hit a bunch. I mean. <laughs> Go back and look at his first touchdown pass to T. Higgins. He gets squared up under his chin. He does a great job holding the ball to the last second while T. breaks takes time to break that open behind the safety and takes one right under the chin and gets pounded. You know, uh, he takes five sacks. He gets rolled up on. He has to hobble off and get on the bike, and, and he's kind of grabbing at his shoulder. And I mean, you know, for a guy in his first game back, everyone was nervous. I mean, that was some nerve-wracking stuff. What happened there, right? Whose fault was it? Well, some encouraging stuff when you really break it down, PFS, PFF does, looking specifically, Riley Reef and Jonah Williams in 31 pass-blocking snaps did not allow pressure. So if you're putting it on people, uh, it didn't end up on those guys. And I think that's what we anticipated was those. that was your your most solid part. You love your bookends there. Um, it was going to be the interior you were concerned about, and that was where a lot of the issues came from. The Bengals put two sacks on, I believe that's what Zach said, two sacks on on the offensive line, and one was obviously on Trey Hopkins, who who got beat hard by Michael Pierce a couple of times, um, and and then I, Xavier Suofilo also had had his hand in another one. Drew Sample, you know, trying to block Neil Hunter, it ain't. That ain't it, right? Like that's that he's not going to win that all the time. And, and you and a running back, Smaj P. Ryan with a whiff, you know, you get caught out of, outside of the numbers. They've got to protect him a little bit with play calls, and you've got to hope that you can see a little bit better. You know, Hopkins in his first game coming off ACL, I just think it, it, it was a, a little bit of an acclimation period for him. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I mentioned Eli Eli Apple earlier being the lowest scoring or lowest graded guy PFF. Trey Hopkins was the lowest score, the lowest graded guy um, by PFF on the offensive side, and then P Ryan was second, and Suafilo was fourth, and that's because of the pressures they gave up. Um, and, and Lou Anarumo said it too. They they gave up five sacks. He said only two of those were on the line. Three were, three were on the rest of the crew. Um, it it wasn't ideal. If Joe Burrow gets sacked five times every game, it's he he may not play every game, but it it's still to to have the the bookends hold up the way they did against a good Minnesota defense against a Mike Zimmer defense that that finds a way to get to guys um, that that should be the encouraging part, and I do think Trey will will come around. It, it, you just it's kind of like in baseball when you say you you, you look at the back of the baseball card. Um, he he doesn't have a history of, of grading that low. I think it was an acclimation period. He'll be fine. the 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 question is going to be what we said it was going to be all year. How how are those guards going to hold up? How are they going to keep pressure out of Joe's face? And, you know, they, they held up enough that they were able to put 27 points up against the Vikings, and and that's something. And it's not going to be that tough every week. I mean, there's obviously it's the NFL. It's going to come through, and they've got to be better. The other side is, you know, I think they did what they, they realized they needed to do. Like, look, we're get, Burrow's getting beat up, dropping back as hell on wheels right now, run the ball. And Joe Mixon ends up 
4.4 yards per carry. Man, if, if, if I, I don't anticipate him having 29 at, attempts and 33 touches every week, I and mean, that's, a, that's a lot. But I think the fact that they said Burrow gives us the lead, Mixon finishes him off as a strategy, and you end up running it a whole lot more than you, than you passed it, you know, we mentioned after the game in the walkout, uh, career low of attempts for Joe, but a career high in completion percentage and, and yards per attempt and all the efficiency stats. It's ideal, man. And and you're gonna if that's the way games go, you're gonna win way more than you lose, and you're not gonna need last second crazy fumbles to do it. I mean, they're so they had it, Joe Mixon had some great runs trying to finish that game off great runs and did seem to get better as the game went along and found his rhythm and the, found a rhythm with the, the line and i i thought that was the encouraging aspect of it was how consistent he was this wasn't mixing trying to bounce everything this wasn't mixing getting caught in the backfield if somebody was in the backfield he could make a miss the lack of negative runs no real negative runs outside of the jamar chase jet sweep I mean, Mixon got what he had to get. He turned negative one into two. He turned, you know, two into five a lot. And and then at the end, had some really nice runs to finish it off. It would have been fitting if he on third and four would have found a way uh, to break through and get that first down on third down because it felt like he had that finishing mentality to him. That's how he ended up at 4.4 per carry. Yeah, and the, I mean, that's ideally, you're right. That is how you want it to look with Burrow getting him the lead and then Mixon finishing it off. It, you're not always going to be playing 70 minutes of football. You're not always going to be playing an 87-degree heat or whatever it was at the end of that game. I think that kind of played into the decision there too. But it's it, it, that is, it, not only say it's a template, but it is something that they, they want to happen. The other thing here is what did they say about Chris Evans in the preseason is that he, you know, he, he can't do what he did in college. You just got to hit the hole and go. And sometimes zero, one, two yards is a good play. And he saw that live out in person with Joe Mixon because he wasn't trying to shake everybody. He was just hitting the hole and getting what he could. And they were grinding it out and running the clock. And it was, I, I picked Mixon as my breakout player of the year. And I don't, I don't think that was a breakout game. That was kind of a vintage Joe Mixon game. I, I still think there's a lot more there. I do think we're going to see him break some runs and th- this offensive line only get better. Mixon's relationship and meshing with them only getting better. And there was just, there were so many plays that, that he looked dead, you know, out on the edge or even in the backfield. And he, he he just ran through tackles, and there I mean, there was one play, and I remember there he he broke two tackles and had the presence of mind to slide down in bounds late in that game when they were trying to to grind the clock out before Minnesota tied it. Just um just a really underrated part of that whole game. Lost in the Burrow comeback, lost in the fourth down decisions, the defense. Uh, Joe Mixon was as big a part of that win as anybody. Yeah, I mean, the ability to run all of that clock. We talk about the decision at the very end, but I mean, to run it down once they got the stop, um, in a big part thanks to the the hold on Oga and Joby there that forced Vikings to punt with like six and some change up. I mean, they run it all the way down where the Vikings are getting the ball at with a buck 48 left at their own five because of Joe Mixon. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's how you finish games. And they just didn't quite get that last finish. But, you know, that that was really the most encouraging part offensively because it's how you keep the pressure off of Burrow. I mean, it's how you keep him from taking so many hits. If you can really, if you can keep that balance, and, and that's what went wrong last year so often, early in the season in particular, you just were constantly having to throw it so many times, 40, 50 times. I mean, Cleveland, 60 times. Like, you just can't be that. And it, that I think is an encouraging way that this went where they're staying in front of the sticks. They're not getting themselves in too many third and and longs and, and feeling comfortable having drives where the vast majority of it is just turning around and handing it off. That's good for Joe Burrow. And it's, it's great for what this offense can be. It's the difference between good and being a nightmare for defensive coordinators. Um, All right. That'll wrap us up. Of course, we'll be back on Thursday. Uh, We'll have our Bears preview. Uh, We'll talk to our folks in Chicago, which is always fun. And by that point, I'll have all my dinner reservations and show reservations already plotted out for my big weekend in Chicago. You're right, Jay. It's just a great place. 
just a great place. Lou Malnati's, I'm coming for you. Okay. <laughs> I'm on, I'm on the to. way. I'm on the way. Uh, so and maybe I, I'm guessing some of you might be making the trip as well. If you are, uh, we'll make sure we get some of those recommendations out there for you uh, as we, we talk to our, our local folks on the ground in Chicago. But anyway, thanks everybody for listening to hear that podcast ground. And uh, we'll talk to you on Thursday. Have a good one, everybody.